Hello and welcome to the Brand Explorer podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Belling, coming to you from Munich. These interviews explore the trails and passes people have taken to build successful brands in the cyclic community. Listen to their lessons from their own personal experience. Enjoy the ride. Jürgen Benecke won the first ever Grundig overall downhill World Cup in 1993. He raced road, cyclocross and mountain bikes at highest levels. Six-hour road races, technically demanding cyclocross courses, built his discipline, skills and professional attitude to become the most successful German downhill racer. His life after racing stayed intensive and competitive. He moved to the U.S. outside of New York City, where he lives today with his wife and two dogs. Starting at zero, learning everything to become a contractor, renovating houses and building design furniture, led him to start his own business with a great product idea, the hangar. While he was battling with John Tomek, breaking bike parts and sponsorship deals during his racing career, today his battles are with Jeff Bezos, trademark infringements, and Chinese copy syndicates. Despite steep learning curves, severe injuries, and bumpy business roads, Jürgen stayed Jürgen. Open-minded, curious, always learning and seeing the good side of life and people. His endurance to fight for the right cause is fueled by his willpower and stubbornness, to be honest. If you have a new product idea, you want to launch to the market online, this episode will share many insights you want to be aware of before you launch. We talk about his biggest injury, a broken back after his career, when he was just racing for fun. About his do-it approach to learn something new. The battles bringing his product idea alive from Shelfie to the hangar. Social media business and Amazon's toxic view on customer relationships, and his new mountain bike, his first ever he just bought. Enjoy the ride. Jürgen, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, Derek. I just had to switch to English. Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good, because I think we're both very comfortable speaking both languages. Like, it's not like a you know, translation that happens anymore. It's just um, like, oh, now we speak English. Now we speak German, right? I mean, uh, that's what it feels like to you, right? I hope. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it, uh, it's it's more common to you than to me since my daily language is German. But anyway, yeah, the, the business is uh, so much on the English side. It's, uh, it's one thing. But yeah, it's a global language. Um, it's good and bad, I find, a little bit. Because I really... Oh, I miss, or I, 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 I get sad when I watch YouTube videos and I see German people mix a lot of English within their German. I think if you speak German, it should just be German and not this mix that bothers okay. me a little bit. Well, it's just me looking from the outside in. So, do you miss speaking German? I, I speak a lot of German actually. Like, and I watch okay. a lot of German videos and TVs, and then all my family's still in Germany, and obviously I have friends, so. The only thing I really, really dislike is I don't like writing in German. 
it's so annoying. It's so it's so much slower. It's so much more. It's more complicated. You know, like you know, the grammar is it's it's more difficult, right? I get it. So once you get used to writing in English, you're just like, why would I like slow myself down so much? I can write so much faster in English. So that's the only kind of little little side note on like having spent half of my life in Germany and half of my life in the U.S. now uh, is I like to speak German. I don't like to write in German. So oh. hmm? I think you're not the only one out there <laughs> making this experience. Yeah. <laughs> If I bring my kids in uh, right now, the, they would be fully on your side. Yeah. Like many others. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a, a a culture that uh, actually we experience right now with Corona thinking more complicated, more super structured. Um, that's making a, it harder to get going. But anyway, so how, how is, uh, how are things with Corona with you uh, where you live? Um, I, it's, it's a weird one for me because the way I live my life and the way I work, I don't have a lot of contact with people. So when there was the the shutdown originally, like a year ago, and I was like, okay, what does this mean? Like, I was like, okay, reassess my life. What's What does this mean? And I was like, it really doesn't mean anything for me, which is very sad. <laughs> I mean, it meant like, you know, I couldn't go out to the movies or go out to dinner, which we don't do that much anyway. You know, we go mountain biking, we go ride our bikes, and that didn't change. So I was like, we looked at each other and we were like, wow, we're really like hermits. We live... <laughs> We live so isolated. It didn't make a difference. <laughs> well, lucky you. That's, I know. Uh, from all the news we, we hear from the U.S. Uh, a year ago, and especially in the New York area, it was pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. For my wife, it obviously, because she's a hair and makeup artist, her work totally died off, right? So that is obviously a massive change for her. And her work is not just work it's also a little bit of her social life uh she likes to you know be in contact with people so right. for me personally not much for her a lot more changed and i know for most people a lot has changed especially if you have kids like you have kids right so right that's that's me I, i think everybody i know who has kids they're basically been the ones that got hit the hardest i think with homeschooling and having to become a teacher all of a sudden i couldn't imagine yeah. i mean i'm I'm just barely, you know, learn myself and I'm like supposed to teach. That would be bad. Yeah. And even there we are, we're lucky. Um, my, my kids uh, don't need homeschooling like uh, second, third grade there and they're finishing high school just now. So it's yeah. more mental coaching yeah. being uh, their garbage can. They can puke all their frustration to us <laughs> and then uh, they feel better. And uh, yeah, sometimes we have a beer or a gin tonic and it's, Makes it even work uh, more smoother. Hey, Jürgen. So um, we have met way back when you were a mountain bike star in in Germany in the 90s. Uh, I was at the magazine. You were a racer. And um, we spent a lot of time together uh, during that time you raced. And then uh, when you left to the US, uh, Uh, there was a big void and and I was following you and watching how you started your your brand the hangar 
But uh, before we go to that story, I, I was very uh, positively surprised last year, about six months ago, when, when the news made, uh, made it that you uh, are auctioning away your Manitou frame and a jersey to support uh, Wings for Life. Um, I, very, I was very positively, like, you know, that uh, had the positive chills, like, wow, you know, um, somebody who's been racing 25 plus years ago is, is doing something good. What, what started this idea with you to do this auction? This was something that was, uh, came to my mind a while ago when Terrianis crashed and got paralyzed. And, uh, and I kind of felt helpless about, you know, like what do you, like it's almost uncomfortable meeting friends that have gotten, you know, injured that badly. And you, you're standing there and they're sitting, obviously, in a wheelchair. Right. So, and uh, and I think for her, it was, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak for anybody like that. So, but I, I just, uh, I felt kind of, you know, helpless. I just like, I don't know what to do here, you know, because no matter what you say. See, I, I used to be a, a, a volunteer paramedic. Right okay. for an ambulance squad, and the one thing that taught you was to never lie to your patient. Basically, saying like it's going to be okay. Don't say that, right? Because how do you, how the fuck do you know that's going to be okay? Right? <laughs> you don't. So this this trying to make it all like oh it's going to be good, it's going to be fine. It's just a bunch of bullshit. You know what I mean? So it becomes too real too quick. So I just like. Ooh. It's uncomfortable. So I wanted to do something in Forest that's just the best I can do. And I was, uh, you know, I was like, I have this, I don't have a lot of money, but I have this old bike that's an original from like 90, 94 World Cup season. And it's just sitting there. I was like, I think I can auction this bike off. And, and it, it, that bike kind of got lost for a while. It was floating around in Germany, a bunch of offices and this and that, and then it appeared again. And, uh, and then Banda Domsky was uh, super helpful. And he's like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll send it to wherever you want me to go because it was sent, it was hanging in his office for a while. And I was like, you can, can you, can you, you know, give this one up? Cause I, I want to, I really want to do this, you know, cause I sent it to him a long time ago for like a Eurobike trade show. And he's like, totally, it's, uh, let's do it. And I was like, okay, I'll organize it. And then you'll just ship it to where it needs to go. And that's, that's what happened. And that, you know, organizing an auction and a GoFundMe, which by the way, that GoFundMe is still going. It's not going strong. Yeah, it's a weird, it's, 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 an, it's an indefinite GoFundMe. So if okay. anybody wants to go look at the video, look at the campaign and uh, they can still put like $20 you know, I made some sort of a pledge that anybody who had a close encounter with almost becoming paralyzed should should put in ten dollars or something. You know, um, that's a great idea. So that that was kind of my thing, and and, and uh, yeah, I auctioned off the old bike, and that was good. I think I raised like I was between the GoFundMe and that thing was like three thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot for some people. It's a lot for me. Oh yeah, definitely. Man. Um, I just uh, had. Uh... Tarek on the show and then he he's also an ambassador for wings on life and he's in a wheelchair mm -hmm. and um yeah he made clear every every euro every dollar counts um actually we're going to run together on that uh 
on that May uh, Wings for Life run to collect money. Yeah. So this is a really great uh, initiative. And uh, again, you know, it was uh, for me surprising to to see this initiative from you after all these years um, and uh, the way it was executed. There's also, you know, after I, I said this to Tara, Tara, I want to, you know, I want to auction off my frame. And I don't remember when this happened, when she broke herself. Um, whatever. It's a while back. I think it was 2008 or whatever. It's yeah, shortly thereafter, I crashed in Alpe d'Huez at the Mega Avalanche, and I broke two vertebrae in my back. And uh, okay. I'm still dealing with that right now. And that's going to be with me forever, and I feel it. It's not good. Um, so I've got a lot of back issues. But I'm, you know, it's like, so you have back pain. Yeah, big whoop. I can walk, right? So, but it's kind of like a daily reminder of how close I got to not walking. I was really close to not walking, and nobody, you know, and it's amazing. Like nobody gives a shit, right? Nobody really cares. You know what I mean? It's like you fade away. Yeah. Well, you you, you don't see it, right? You don't wear a cast. You know, there's no, nothing to the outside unless you. I brought two vertebrae there in the thoracic area, so it's right mid the side, sternum side, sternum height. You know where there's the rib cage and everything. So it's it's an it's an amazing solid part of the back, like structurally. So you can have a broken back and still be in pain, but kind of get around because there's a lot of structures around it that will kind of hold you up still. You know, even so you're in agony. You know, so I didn't. You know, like if you break your lower back or you're not, you're just you're out. You're like I can't move. You know, but I could still kind of like, you know, tumble around there, like you know, limber. Popple, whatever. You came back racing. You said 2008 you did up the S in so. Big Avalanche? And that's where you hurt your back? Yeah, I actually, I broke two vertebrae and they're like, they're, they're pretty wedged. So they're not square shaped anymore and that the discs are kind of blown out of in between. You know, and this is the mentality of racers, right? I think a lot of people are like that, at least especially road racers or cross country guys. The pain threshold is just usually pretty high. So I broke myself in a qualifier. So I, I was way out front. I, I went through a compression and I lost. I, I, I hit, it was really powdery, like dusty. I must have hit something in the dust, a rock. It deflected my front wheel and I lost my front wheel. And I basically 10 feet before the compression. So I face plant into the uphole section. So I went from like going like, I don't know. 30 miles an hour to zero. Boom. Yeah. Scorpioned into the hill. And it was knocked the wind out of me, this and that. But, you know, it's one of those things. You just, at that point, you get up, you're just like, oh, you know, you just, it's painful. But it's an, it's an, it's a reaction like that. I, they just grab the bike and just hop on and just kind of just, you know, just roll it out because it might get better. Right. It might, <laughs> it might, oh, yeah. I kept going. Uh, I kept going. You didn't feel any any instant uh, great uh, stop mode. You know, it's adrenaline. It's the rush. It's the it's a, it's the focus on the race, right? You focus on the race, and there's this whole this with endure racing, or even in downhill. I always had this mentality of like, there's this there's a saying in the Gladiator movie, like never give up, never surrender. <laughs> I don't know if you know this one, but uh, Russell Crowe. It's a stupid fucking reference. Wow. Seems well, fit, yeah. it's basically, I always kept telling myself, never give up, never surrender. Meaning, if you make a mistake, it doesn't mean anything. Because you, you don't give up, you right. don't surrender, you fight, right? So then, 
that was a mistake. Regroup, continue, right? So, because you know you can have a in a downhill race or so you can you can mess up the first turn, right? And for some people, that's the race done. They're screwed. But it's just one turn out of many. There's a long way to go still. So never give up, never surrender. Get back to where you were and just hammer, right? So that kind of switched on. Like it's just because I've done this for so long, that that switch got flipped really quickly. I was like, get on the bike, you know, take a couple of seconds, breather, see how it goes, and then start regrouping and uh, continue. And now I was in pain, and then the pain didn't go away, right? But I ended up, I think, finished second in that qualifying run. And at the bottom, I rolled through. I sat there, and I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right. It feels different than I've gotten hurt. I've broken collarbones, broken wrists, broken all kinds of stuff. I'm like, this feels different. This feels very internal. Like, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what this was because it was like a crushing sensation. So I just sat there, drank a bunch of water, and I sat there, sat there. And I was like, oh, I think it's settling down a little bit. And then I got up and I was like, whoa, this was this was different. This was like a crushing pain. And I couldn't really put my finger on it because if somebody said to me, you know, you break your back. And I was like, oh, well, if I break my back, I'd know it. I'm not going to get up and walk around. I'm not going to go ride my bike. But I was like, I was in pain. It was a dull, crushing sensation. But then you talk to yourself, you're just like, this is just a bad, it's a bad bruise, right? It's a bad bruise. Like I just, I hurt myself. So you're still able to to breathe and uh, and talk okay, uh -huh. just with pain? And I actually raced two days wow. later. Uh-huh. No way. I know. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. Oh, my God. I know. That was a, yeah, I know. I took a bunch of ibuprofen. I rested. I was like, ah, oh, this is a bad bruise, right? That's basically what I kept telling myself, right? But I was in a really, really good shape. I was like, I was lean. I was fit. I was I had good core strength. Everything was like there, right? I was really fit. Luckily, I think if I would have not had that, I probably would have been done. But because of that, I think I could carry myself pretty well because of it was like T67 thoracic, you know, vertebrae, whatever that is in the middle there. Um, so I just could carry myself fairly well. And I was like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. You know, I'm here. I'm racing. So I went up in the race and I got, I think I got like 10th or something. So it's <laughs> ridiculous, but wow. Yeah, I know. And, and then when, when did you finally say, okay, I might, I might want to have a, a professional medical check. Well, I went back to the U S Oh, and then the night, the nightmare continued. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, first of all, I, you know, it's like, I had to, plane booked and everything and I was in agony I was like okay I'll just go home and I went to uh, the doctor and the, the, the shit show continued because I got misdiagnosed here because the guy basically because the way I walked in and I was like oh, I'm, just, I'm so like I crash it's painful and he was like oh you'll be fine but you know he did exactly what an EMT what you're not supposed to do as a medical professional telling people clients that it's going to be okay Cause you can't, you can't, you don't know, right? And uh, they took an X-ray. Uh, he, but this was the worst doctor, by the way, in the history of the world, in my eyes. He took an X-ray. I never got to see the X-ray, which was my it was my bad. I didn't police the guy, but he basically said, "Oh, you just, uh, you know, just bruised whatever or something, and you got to do some PT, physical therapy." 
And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I, you know, walked out, you know, the crushing sensation, all the stuff. Meanwhile, I had to start working construction again, right? So that's happening while I was doing all this. This I was already working, <laughs> schlepping shit, <laughs> doing exactly what you're supposed to. And I and I went to a physical therapist, and they were starting to like do movement, and they, they were like, I don't even want to tell you what they did with me. It's opposite of what you want to do when somebody has a broken back. And I was like, this is not getting, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. You know, it's just like I had this tingling, tingling sensation in my rib cage, my arms. I was like, this is getting like really, it's bad. So uh, I went to go to somebody else. I was like, I need an MRI. This is bullshit. This this X-ray. I never saw the X-ray. I don't believe what the guy said. So, and then we were trying to get the X-ray and they lost it conveniently. (laughs) And I'm like. The, the medical office, oh, we can't find, we had a medical glitch, and so we can't find the mm-hmm. It's like, you can't find, I'm like, oh, they're covering their asses. That's what they're doing. They were like, they were legitimately worried about lawsuits. And I was like, oh, fuck. They, they can't find it. So got an MRI, and he's like, oh, you broke your back. Two vertebrae are ve- like wedged. They're not square anymore. There's nothing we can do as far as surgery goes. You just got to, you know, just take it easy and. You know, kind of. And and how long did it take the easy taking? Two years. Yeah, I didn't ride my bike for two years. I didn't do much for two years. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, that is a massive failure of the medical system. And there was, of course, it's and, and it, there were two doctors, right? Two doctors that looked at me like said that you're fine. And it's just the way I carried myself. You know, you don't expect somebody to walk in and say. I broke my back. It's like, well, it doesn't look like it because you're walking around. You know, it's it's just you have to believe the patient on sometimes, you know what I mean? Or like you have to believe, you know, when somebody's very concerned about something, I don't think you should say it's going to be okay because you don't know, you know. So that's a weird, that was a weird one. But that was kind of a big trigger for me to, uh, you know, do something about, There's not there's not many organizations that do any kind of moves in that whole like spinal research and there's there's not much going on and and, and it's not just for bikes it's just people falling off a of roof or anything you know and uh, I was like well it'd be nice if there's somebody who actually knows what they're doing and like if we could fix that a little bit or give a little bit of hope for that and that's I think Wings for Life is like the only thing that kind of fit the bill there. Yeah. Definitely in a, in a very proactive way. Um, mm-hmm. Did did you ever experience such a severe injury in your your nineties rating racing careers? No, nothing like that. Nothing like that because they were just they were black and white. They're like broken wrist, done. Right. Four weeks, this, and then we know where where we're going. Broken collarbone, boom. You know this, that, and the other. Been there, done that. Many people have been there, done that, right. gone, right? Broken back is different, and I think it's different for everybody. You know what I mean? And it's broken neck, or Marcus Klausman, I think, broke his, uh, a vertebrae in his neck. And, like, there's a lot of people that have broken themselves, but the recovery is so different for everybody. We're like, how bad is it? Is there nerve damage? No, What's the disc space? Is it slipping? Is it not? What, what, what's the story, right? Um, so you can't really put this all in one basket and say, yeah, You broke your back, but you'll be fine. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to feel this for the rest of your life or not, depending on how it is and how it's healing and what's happening, you know, what do you, what did you do afterwards? You know, did you work construction and lift heavy bags? <laughs> well, that's not so good then. Yeah. Let, let, let's, so if you work in constructions and, and as you said, you're, you're lifting heavy things, what, what exactly like, and what kind of constructions uh, did you do? And you started after racing, right? Yeah, I did a lot of, I did a lot of different jobs after racing. I mean, it was kind of like this, uh, like, well, it's what to do, right? Right. I got to make some sort of money to pay for things. So what did you try out? Uh, so I was trained as a tool and die maker uh, before I started racing. So I actually had a degree in a real job in Germany. Right. But tool and die making. So I was out of tool and die making for 10 years, which is like, you might as well have never learned it. It's basically start what, over again. Yeah. Right. It started over again because of CNC technology was like in this infancy kind of when I started. Now it's like all these multi axis machines. And, and I was like, damn, I can't. I don't even remember what I did then. And that is outdated. And now I'm like, I would have to start from zero. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, plus I kind of, wasn't really that interested in it. Even so, it was really, to this day, it's a very helpful education that i gotten from the, you know, the, what has this? Aus, Ausbildung, right? The German Ausbildung. Yeah, in Germany, we say the apprenticeship, like the Ausbildung. Yeah, yeah, yeah three and a half years. So uh, I basically went to a friend of mine who had a construction company, and I was like, you know what? I want to do, uh, I want to learn how to build houses. I want to learn how to renovate. I want to learn how to do things because I had a house and, you know, the house I, I've had many houses over the years, but the houses I bought were always the worst houses and mostly trying to get, be in the best neighborhood, the worst house, in the, you know, in the best neighborhood. So they always need a lot of work. And uh, it was just kind of like an, a natural thing for me. Even while I was racing in the off season, I was trying to fix up the house that I had. And then, you know, we would sell them after like two years because there's a weird system over here in America where if your house is a primary residency for two years, the gain on the capital, like the money basically that you made on the sale yes. is tax-free, nice. right? So there was a there was a tax-free thing, which basically it, it was just kind of, uh, I got paid for my labor more or less. Uh, I thought it was like, this is a good way of making a little bit of side money. And then if I learn how to do it correctly, I can also do it for other people. So I can work on my house. I can work on other people's house. I can build. I can, you know, do all stuff. So that's kind of the first thing I did. But it, it seemed to fulfill a lot of your, your needs, right? You had a house, you could fix it. You could learn something new, right? Right. And, uh, and it was like, I, I was interested in everything. That's what was fun for me. Right. So I bought the, the, the ultimate test for me as I bought this house. It was like $50,000, this house. And it was like, it was just garbage, but it was in a great spot. had a view, but it was just done. I mean, most people would tear it down. And I was like, this is going to be my, like yeah, my master apprentice piece. I was like, if I can do this thing by myself, like not hire an electrician, not hire a plumber, not hire a roofer, not hire a frame, not hire. I'm just saying, I want to do everything. I'm going to do everything. Everything. Wow. By myself. Yeah. I do the heating system. I did everything, right? Which 
sometimes difficult, right? Because sometimes you you want to a plumbing supply store and you're asking for, I need the I need that thing on top of the furnace, that metal, you know, and they look at you like, ah, nope, we're not going to sell you that because they're just like, well, I don't know, they're not nice, <laughs> kind of dicks. Sometimes in these plumbing stores, they're not the friendliest of people because they're not dealing with the end consumer. They deal with plumbers, right? Right. So if you walk in there and you don't speak their language, you know, they become kind of, uh, you know, not nice sometimes. So I would walk into a store and ask for the thing. And uh, I would hear all of a sudden they're like, oh, you mean a plenum? No, we don't have any. I was like, oh, okay, it's called plenum. I'd go to the next plumbing store. And I'd walk in. I was like, I need a plan for my furnace. What size? Okay, I got further. <laughs> I eventually would get the thing that I needed. And yeah, no, I, I learned so much. And then, it, you know, it's this is where the U.S. has a big advantage. I, th- I find this because I had to get a building permit, right? So this is not like you're just shooting from the hip. I had a building permit and I went to the building inspector, which I got lucky the town that I was in. The building inspector was super cool. And he's just like, oh, you're going to do this all yourself? That's cool. So, you know, let me help you a little bit. He's like giving me, he, he gave me like framing suggestions, do this, do that, do that. And then when you've done this, call me and I'll inspect it. Do this and I'll come and I'll inspect it. And it has to get signed off that it's done correctly. So it's not like you can just do, you know, shitty work, cover it up and be done with it. It had to be done to code, but they'll let you do it, right? So... It was it was cool. I did like a year and a half. I fixed the house up, and I, you know, I sold it. And it was uh, it was it was a it was a great way of, you know, working every day, uh, and being your own boss. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, this was before all of real estate went to crazy you know, to hell in the handbasket. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We know this. You know the end of that story too. <laughs> <laughs> What was the biggest learning from that first uh, masterpiece for you? Um, that is, that is sometimes uh, that the trades uh, don't do a better job than somebody who really cares about it. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of covering up. There's bad trades work everywhere, and it's really hard to find people that have. I think. Finding people that have pride in what they do is hard. And when you do, then they, then you got it, right? But there's a lot of people are just doing a job as a job. So I've seen people, like I've seen plumbers and I've worked in other jobs with plumbers that are like, they're, they're, they're doing their, you know, manifolds and the copper, you know, just sweating the pipes and everything. And it's just like, and they are like taking pictures of it afterwards because it's like art almost. It looks amazing. And I was like, wow, this is like, actually we just had a, Uh, the apartment in the in the in the city, we just did a bathroom, and I couldn't do that bathroom because I don't have license to work in the city anymore. But the plumber that did the uh, did the the copper pipes there, my wife showed me a picture, and I was like, I was just staring. I was like, that's beautiful. <laughs> just just me looking at it, you know. I'm looking at copper pipes, and I was like, that's amazing. He did such a good job, you know. It's covered behind. Nobody will ever see it, but that guy had pride. And I was like, I can totally appreciate that, you know, and that's, that's something that's rare. I think, you know, somebody really puts an effort into something that's never, never going to be seen. <laughs> and, and this then got you kickstarted into the, the, the renovation business. And, and, and... Yeah, I did that. I, I specialized a little bit in interior uh, tinted plaster work because that was a lot of money in the high end 
renovations in Manhattan. I've worked a lot in Manhattan doing this tinted plaster work, you know, Cocostico, like Venetian plaster. Uh, because, you know, if you like them, when you're working for other people, it's opposite again. It's like if you're like the jack of all trades, it's implied you're the master of none, meaning you know everything a little bit, but you're not good at anything. So I was like, okay, I can't really charge proper amounts unless I'm, you know, specific, you know, being the master in one category. And I picked, you know, the, the interior Venetian plaster, tinted plaster work for that. So that worked good until people started hating real estate and nobody did anything anymore in 2008 financial crisis happened. And I was like, well, that's done, you know? So that kind of put the garbage on my business more or less. And I had to kind of regroup again. So how, how did you, did you make it through the, the financial crisis then? Not good. So I didn't have any like investments. I don't have any like stocks and bonds and portfolio. My, my, my things was like, I understand houses. I understand real estate. I can touch it and feel it. I can work on it. So I, I ended up, I had a house to live in. I had a rental house and then I did it fix up that other thing that I sold to buy a, there's like a five unit building. I was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, trying to be a landlord and I'm trying to be a nice landlord, which is, I guess, a contradiction in itself. <laughs> to be a nice land. <laughs> nah. you're, you're emphasizing the word nice. What, what, what the, what's the difference between a landlord and a nice landlord? Broke. <laughs> somebody who has money or somebody who has no money, I think. Uh, like I was lowering rents. People couldn't pay their bills. I had I had one guy, one of my tenants was a contractor himself and he had no work, but I had work. So I hired him on my job to make sure that he gets paid. And then that guy, so I, he worked on my job. I pay him for the work. Rent is due and he can't pay. And I was like, I just paid you. He's like, yeah, I got truck payments. I was like, well, <laughs> sorry. I guess you want to live in your truck. I don't know. I was like, I got so disenchanted with being a land landlord because I think people think you're the man, you know, you got the money and you're just the evil landlord. And I was like, well, it's not really true. I provide housing and you pay me in exchange for it. And it was always fair, but nothing was fair when that happened. Everything was bad, you know, and I didn't want to be that person. I had to be that person sometimes to like get people out because I was like, I'm losing everything here. I don't know what to do. I can't, you know, so I don't know. It was a, it was a bad time in America. And then, I mean, we obviously know that where this led to, which are but not our past president for the last four years. I mean, that was kind of the root of where it all started because people were very, very angry. Let's, let's jump into the, the hangar. Where where did this 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 start to to blossom? Where did you put the seeds in to to start this idea to to go? So it was it was uh, while I was working, you know, I was still doing the renovations and constructions, but the level of construction was getting really poor. It was just like people are like only I could only get low end jobs doing time and material. I couldn't really make a great money, and I was getting tired of it. And I was also getting tired of putting like coming up with creative ideas to solve problems, but only getting paid like once minimally for that solution. 
I was like, wouldn't it be nice if I could come up with a solution for a problem and not just get paid once, you know what I mean? But get paid, get paid long-term for that one problem I've solved, right? And that's, if you think about that, that's a product, right? Most likely. So you 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 come. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, right? If it's a table, if it's a chair, but if it's a, it it serves a purpose and it it solves a problem, that that product keeps selling because it it does a good job of what it does, right? So I kind of wanted to do furniture, try to get my foot in the door with building furniture. I made super complicated pieces, and uh, and I realized quickly that there's I can't get a grip. I cannot get my foot in the door. I went to like Manhattan, just around the city, a bunch of high-end furniture stores. And I was like, listen, let me put this on the floor. Let me just put it in and and, and I don't want any money from you until it sells. Just commission. And then commission like just not a lot either. And those guys all loved the stuff. It's not that they didn't like it. And, and I know it wasn't. I made like modern stacked plywood pieces with underlit, like a float, like a, it, it fit the bill. I know it did because I worked in high end stuff, but it was just, I was this guy from upstate New York. It was just, I didn't have a, if I had some designer name attached to this piece, they would put it in like in a heartbeat, right? There was no, because people buy names, you know, and I had no name. Right. So the, especially the design culture and interior design culture is just so guarded. They're so protective of, I think they're very insecure people in general, because a lot of them just, you know, they're shuffling stuff from left to right. And if they can name drop big designer names, it means something, not because of what it is, but who made it. Uh, so I, was, I realized quickly, I was like, I cannot function in this world. It's just uh, it's it's too hard to break in, and I can't pretend. I can't lie. You know, it's one thing that's not very good at lying about who I am or what I am. You know, so I decided to, you know, still build furniture, but I was like, I I, I need an audience that I can like, I uh, can be like, hey, look at what I'm doing over here, and they're actually looking at it. And then only there was one audience only, and it was the bike audience. Right, I had still had. Enough people on my social media that were looking at what I was doing all the time. And I was like, you know what? Let's just do this furniture thing and let's make something that my bike audience would like. And actually something I, I would like for myself. And I was like, let's make a make a bike shelf. Let's store the bike. Like how would I store a bike? Right. So I was basically I threw everything out and I was like, let's just draw it on a piece of paper. How would I hang a bike? And I looked at the bike hanging, and I always had bikes hanging on a pipe in a basement. Like I would have cinder blocks and a pipe across, and I'd hang them all by the seat, da, 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 lined up. And I'm like, right. And I was like, that's a natural way for me to hang a bike by the seat. I was like, okay, that's cool. So I was like, let's put this on the wall. And then I designed the piece around a hanging bike on the wall. And I wanted to add like storage for a helmet and shoes and this. And that's when I came up with the first. Back then, it was called Shelfie, and uh, well, now it's the Hanger, and started the business in 2013, I believe, and got punched in the face basically right from the get-go ever since. <laughs> basically, I had really rough going again. You know, it was not easy. Um, 
so we did a Kickstarter campaign. I think we launched in 2014, I believe. And I was like, the Kickstarter was a new thing. I think it's been around for like a year or two. And I always saw these cool projects and people were supporting it, you know, funding the project so that it becomes reality. So whatever that means for tooling, machining, equipment, whatever, that they they can start their business and it was crowdfunded. And I was like, that is something that I, I feel like I could do. And if it if it has legs, if people like it, support it and put money behind it, I can actually make it happen because I don't have the money for that. Um, so I did that and uh, I did – that was – I think the selfie was like the most – searched name like you know on the internet they always have the most the po- most popular phrase or some selfie was it that was like selfies were it right in 2013 and i was building the shelf and i was like that's a shelfie right so i thought it was pretty nifty you know it sounds stupid now but it was like i thought it was a great name so i got the trademark registered i got it all basically buttoned up that you know i, I have the the rights to use this name for my product Got it all uh, signed off by the patent and trademark office. I was like, oh, good, good to go, right? So launched the campaign. Campaign's getting traction. Blogs are writing. I was like, oh, good. And I have you know, my friend who's also a cyclist who's an attorney, and he's sending me an email like um, maybe three, four weeks into it. And he's like, hey, have you seen this? And I'm like, seen what? He's like, there's an, uh, that somebody filed an opposition. I was like, opposition of what? Of your trademark. They claimed that they've used it first in commerce. And I'm like, that, 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 nobody, that didn't show up in our searches. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So it was just an American company. I think they were based in Michigan or something. They were making, shell- I'm not going to name the name, but they, they, they made shelves and they were like a massive online, all shelving, right? Anything shelves, whatever, a wall mounting hooks and crap. And they basically filed and and claimed that 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 an opposition that they used the trademark in, in commerce first, and uh, it would basically come down to an argument. Basically, we're going to be in a first lawsuit three weeks into our business. <laughs> so I talked to a talked to a trademark uh, you know attorney, and then that which is a different attorney than my friend. He's like uh, you know of of course he's like their claim was that they used uh, the hashtag shelfie on Twitter which is not using commerce. So he's like, they don't have a leg to stand on. But, and I was like, but they have a lot of money, <laughs> which is, which is basically matters a lot. You know, when you, when you're arguing over something, even if you're wrong, you know, because if you have a lot of money, that'll make it right eventually. So I was really struggling with that. We kind of went forth and back with them a couple of times. I actually called them up. I was literally like, my lawyer freaked out. He's like, you can't call these people. And I was like, I called him. I called him because I, it's bullshit. I was like, I literally was like, I want to talk to the whatever. Give me the person. The, you know, see. It didn't go well. I left a message with them. I mean, I think they were like, thought this guy's legitimately out of his mind. He's probably going to roll up in the parking lot and starts, you know, smashing headlights or something. But I was like, oh, I wanted to, I wanted to understand what they're, what their ideas? What? What? Why are they doing this? You know what I mean? But he's like, you can't call them. You know, so I didn't call them anymore. And, and I had luckily uh, my friend uh, Larry Peasy, who was the back then he was CEO of Raleigh Bikes and e-bikes. Uh, he does another company. I don't know what it's called. Uh, uh, um. But so I had 
this one connection on the highest of corporate, you know, functionings that I could call about this. And I, I called him. I was like, listen, Larry, I got this problem. I don't know what to deal with this. You know, I don't know. I don't know the business world like that. I was like, I have this company that wants to kind of steal our name and that's wrong. Right. It's that's why we came up with this. It's a great name. You know, he's like, he didn't, he almost didn't let me finish. He basically just change your name. It's over. Like done. Change your name. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. He's like, you're like three weeks into this. They're wrong. Give it to them. It's not worth it. Focus on what's what matters and just just give it up. And basically, that cost me like four thousand dollars, right? To give up, you had to register a new name, give that one up. It's just all, you know, that still costs money. You know, register registering a name and giving it up. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, so basically I was I also had announced this Kickstarter campaign was called Shelfie. I've told I think we had, you know, the campaign was finished. We had like over 500 supporters. So those those people were all waiting for Shelfie. So and eventually I was like, "Listen, people, you're not going to get a Shelfie <laughs> because of what happened to us. It's going to be something else. I don't know what it, it'll be, but you know, maybe can help me with some name ideas or something. And then it was like the best lesson ever in like running a business. People were just like literally telling me, we really don't care what it's called. We like it and we like you. And why don't we just call it whatever? And they start throwing names at me. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I was like, I should just ask people. <laughs> if I would have just asked people right away, they would have told me, right? So I'm not saying that people are always right, but if you take the majority of the people, like if you can survey a lot of people, most likely they're always right, you know? So instead of making decisions behind closed doors, I should have just went. Yeah, I mean, I had Larry, but I should have just went right to the 500 supporters that basically put money behind it because, you know, I thought they were going to be upset. Nobody was upset. And then we came up with the hangar, which I think is a much better name anyway. And then I, I went so far left, basically trying to create a word that couldn't even possibly exist, you know. So I made umlauts on it. I made it just silly, and it, it, it works. So I'm happy actually in the long run that our first trademark went got stolen. Which, by the way, those guys never used it. They just wanted so. There was a long story to that. I think they wanted to get their hands on the actual product and want to do a licensing deal. They wanted to negotiate licensing. And I was like, licensing? I was like, I haven't even made these things yet. What do you want to talk about? Which was another problem anyway, making this thing, which I failed at too. It was the second punch in the face. <laughs> Before we go into making it, give us some more more insight, in, especially for, for Europe. The, uh, Kickstarter is, is definitely something American startup um so you said like the first the first one you got 500 people uh putting in money as i as i see here it's a sixty-seven thousand dollars, and uh and you've been communicating with them but can you give somebody who doesn't know kickstarter a quick like the 101 what is it it's it's you present your project and a lot of them are even like art art projects like movies films sculptures could be an event could be a product, could be a record, could be, you know, something. 
you pr- you kind of present that and then you ask people to back it and when they back it with money usually you give them rewards and the reward could be the product could be a ticket to the event could be a copy of the song could be something it could basically be anything you want they have regulations as far as it can't be like a medical it can you can't do false claims on like weight loss and like weird like there's some there's some guidelines i'm sure that gotten a lot stronger and that 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 whole crowdfunding scene i thought was really revolutionary and 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 all good and you know when something's really good there's bad people coming in and they ruin it <laughs> like always and i think right now yeah. we're at the yeah no it it did there was a lot of people presenting their pipe dreams and they they would just take the money and disappear oh, and vanish. Okay. And there was a lot of there was a lot of angry backers because they're like, I put hundred bucks in and I want this, I wanted this project to happen, and this guy doesn't even reply. He doesn't even post comments. And there's so many, and there's like projects that are like raised millions of dollars and they're a bunch of shysters and they just disappeared and vanished and took the money. And there's so there's a lot of bad taste. When you when you go now into the world and say I'm running a Kickstarter, most people's eyes rolls in the back of their head and it's like, ugh, it's one of those. Because just, they're assuming that you're going to scam them well, a, lot, a lot of times. And then there's this – it's just bad on all sides. And I, got, I, I wish it would still be the way it was in 2014 because I would still do it probably. But now it's been infiltrated by actually a lot of Chinese spies because they – I mean, you're virtue signaling. You're like, hi, I'm a company. I have no money. I have this great idea. Go steal it. Mm. That's what happened to me with my second project, right? So it's like when you run another – I mean, it's also happened with the first one. I mean, why did this company in Michigan think they could just like, oh, we'll take that? Because I obviously told everybody I have no money to do this. Right. <laughs> you were easy. honest. Yeah, you I know. very honest. So when you, when you do a Kickstarter campaign, you kind of – and this happened, I think, this, week, uh, this year again. I saw uh, – Somebody shared something. He's like, that sounds familiar. Somebody shared it to me and it was like a bike. It was a bag. I think it was a, a, a handlebar bag. And they were, they raised a lot of money, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And this is, this is how messed up this is. Worse than me. They got copied and they were selling the copies before those guys were even in production. They beat them so fast. So fast. That they could, and they even stole the name and everything. They're just like because they even if they only have a couple of weeks to like before they can get shut down or change something, it's worth it for them. They're just they're running so fast over there in Asia, wherever they're doing it, that they're like they see it, they like it, they do it, and they're like running hard. And uh, and then they started running their own Kickstarter campaigns. You can see, and I'm like, this is not an American company, which is supposed to be, right? So they had this guy set up a corporation in America, but it was basically a Chinese company running Kickstarter pretending. So there was a lot of a lot of things that made it not wow. great That's anymore. Another deep deep yeah. steep learning curve. Yeah. I mean on your on your website you have two big logos, right? That say like made made in Germany plus made in the US. So what <laughs> and at the same time you say that the Chinese copy your product, right? Right. So I don't think it's exclusive to Asia to screw people over. Obviously, I'm well I'm 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 well aware of that you can get screwed anywhere. 
in the world. Doesn't matter. You don't have to go to China to get screwed over. But they're masters of it. They're, they're, they've, they've got it down to a science, right? To like totally take pictures. So the lesson was trademark. Nobody cares what you name it. Yeah, I still have the hangar as a trademark, and I will defend that, right? Because now that we've been around for like 13, whatever, I don't know, in a couple of years, I have to defend that, right? I have to because that's what I got the trademark for, right? It's different when you're only four weeks in versus you're in, uh, you know, 10, whatever, 15, 12, 12 years. Um, but uh, so I always thought, yeah, the mar- the name's important. I'll defend that. But you know what's what the one thing that they can't steal, they can't steal maybe my designs. They can steal, the, you know, even the patented item that we have, the hanger that's, uh, you know, patented. They've stolen that too. And that's not much I can do because they're in China. I was like, they can't steal. That one thing they can't steal, which is me, right? The person, Jürgen Benicke. They can't steal me. I have my friends, my history. I, I, can, I Like, they, people trust me, right? Well, you know what? They stole me. They took my videos of my face promoting their product. And it was just like, okay. So, you know, you're like, okay, I can shut this down. Right? You go DMCA notice, no, you know, takedown notice, Shopify, whatever, wherever it was popping up, you know, Pinterest, eBay. And I was like, these are all our photos, our videos with my face, with my wife's face promoting their product. And I was like, how dare they? And this, sorry, I'm, I'm so speechless. Like, uh, <laughs> basically, they, the Chinese took just everything you put online and, and copied it over? Oh, yeah. And they re-edited it. They photoshopped their product into, like, they basically made their product into our photos. They're just like, they spend more time editing the shit than making their own videos and photos. I mean, if they would have just went and just hired a guy and do it, it'd be like, okay, I got nothing to do about this. But now I had some work to do to take these things down and they were coming up like hot and heavy. You know, I mean, I don't know to this day, this has got to be hundreds of sites and, you know, pages that I've taken down. And it's, I kind of give up a little bit, I got to say. I mean, I see it now. So there's this interesting thing. I was like, okay, I can't, you know, the one thing I thought nobody can steal, which is me, right? My my persona is being stolen. But then I was like, you know, the websites. So I was taking down the websites with the images. And then I, I saw some interesting thing, which was my, I had a such a, because I don't run a lot of, I don't, really don't run any Facebook ads or Instagram ads. It's all organic what I have. So I don't have like, I only have like 6,500, whatever, follows on Instagram or on Facebook. It's not, you know, millions, but they're all truly organic and they're all there because they like what I do and they like me, I guess. So those guys were super organized and active. So they would see these ads and they're like, they keep sending me this. Like, is this, what is this? This is you. What is, what's happening here? This is you, but it's not your product. Did you give them permission? I was like, no, it's a bunch of shysters. So I've had every time they would run ads, I would have people commenting and linking back to our site everywhere, all the time on Instagram and Facebook. They would be like, and then at a certain point, I was like, you know what? This DMCA takedown notice really doesn't do me any good because it's a lot of work and they just pop up a new one. They're just really, they're just so good. And I was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call to action. I was like, hey, guys, this is what's happening. I don't know what to do. 
but let's just draft off these guys. Like, let's just take their money and just tag my website and the originals in their comments and just keep hammering at them because people that will look at them will read the comments and they'll find, oh, this is a ripoff. Oh, this is original. And then I go, and then I can use their ad money to drive my business, which worked really well, actually. So how, how happy how happy are you with the hangar today? Right. I let them use my videos and my images, unless I got very uncomfortable. Yeah, I, mean, I, could, I, could, I watch it, you know, and I was sometimes like one ad that was running a video of mine promoting the product and they're like you know they had like i don't know a million views and i was like wow they're putting real money behind this like that's real money right i mean right a couple thousand dollars on facebook you know this and that and i was like that they're, they're really throwing it down man and i was like well they must like the traffic i guess but then i was like it seemed to be the people that buy the cheap knockoffs are not my customers anyway so i was like you know i'm not gonna I can't, I don't want to compete on price. And uh, I did shut him down eventually. I got uncomfortable. So I don't know. You just, it's, it's, it's a gut feeling you got to go with. But when that happens to you, it's a weird one. You know what I mean? Sometimes you want to maybe take advantage oh, of their money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm speechless of, of all the things you, you had to experience in short and time and even so uh, ongoing. So let's jump forward today. Like where, where's the hangar today? Your business? Are you happy? I am happy. <laughs> I'm hesitantly happy. <laughs> I'm always cautious, right? So there's this whole thing about. Remember, I said before that uh, you know the crowd is always right. The big number when you ask them. So there was this moment in time where people are like, "Yeah, you should be on Amazon, right?" So this is like this is the one time where I think the customer was wrong because they basically it's convenient for them. I understand I've used Amazon. I don't use it anymore because I understand how it works now. And there's such easy workarounds. It's just laziness to use Amazon. Um, you know, it's like you can't be like a vegan and want world peace and then use Amazon. I think you're a hypocrite. You know what I mean? There's so much bad things to happening over there and they have such a like they they think they own the customers that's their customers right which is such bogus because i know i had people message me after they found us asking are you selling on amazon so is that amazon's customer no they found me they're asking me if i'm not. so i'm basically starting to push people on Amazon because yeah, it's for sale there. And this happens with a lot of small companies, right? Because they're like, they, they think that's where the customer is, but that's not the one you want. The one you, you yeah, it's, 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 it's backwards, right? I mean, uh, so we were selling on Amazon and then um, I got a phone call from them, which is interesting. You can get calls from them, but you can't ever call anybody over there. I tried that. So I got a call from them and I answered it and they're like, yeah, we want to, we do, you're doing really well. Um, which I was uncomfortable with already because I was very quickly, it was like a third of my business was going through Amazon, which was like way too much. I was like, whoa, this is like, this is nuts, you know? And I was, they're like, yeah, you know, you should do FBA, you know, fulfillment by Amazon and then we'll just buy it at wholesale from you. And then we'll just do it as demand goes and we'll just grow it. And then I was like, oh, that sounds great. Um, what happens to the final price? Who makes that final 
price to the consumer. He's like, I will do it based on demand. I was like, so I lose pricing power. Like, I don't, I can't tell you how much I want to sell this for. He's like, well, we'll make it work the best for you. So you can sell the most. And I was like, Oh, oh that sounds terrible. I mean, it's, it sounds really bad because I was like, they don't understand. I'm not made in China. I actually touch all these things. I was like, do you know how much work this is? It's like, I actually sometimes, you know, because it's such a low overhead business, because I'm still operating out of my barn garage. I got a little office in the in my house. So, you know, it's like sometimes when I don't have a lot of orders, I'm like, yay, I'm going to bike ride. <laughs> so I was like, when he was telling me, he's like, you could sell a lot more. I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's, like, I don't, it's like the opposite of what he wanted to hear. So I told him, it's like, no, I just want to keep it the way it is. I'm happy. You know, I want to. I don't want to sell to Amazon. I want to. I want to sell to the consumer on Amazon, and then you charge me the fee, which is outlandish anyway. And then. And and how does Amazon react on these kind of responses? Well, there's radio silence after that. They're just like done. Okay, move. They go to the next, right? But obviously, what's there to for everybody to see is how well a product sells on Amazon. You can look up rankings of products, what's popular and, you know, reviews and everything. And which is just a signal again, like Kickstarter It's actually worse than Kickstarter because they're getting the sales feedback uh, of Chinese companies deciding to sell a knockoff of what you're making on Amazon and just blowing you out of the water. And that happened in the beginning. They even used their name. They call it like the Dan Pedalhook or, you know, and I was like, wait, 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 hold on. I used that photo. I mean, it's like literally like a carbon copy. And I was like, what is happening? And then trying to get Amazon to take something down. is just, it's so much work. You know, you have to fill out forms and that their, their brand, like, I had the brand registry, you know, I did all that. I built all the stuff out and I was like, you know how much time you want me to spend on your stupid site that looks like it's freaking from the nineties. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't deal with this. So I think I stayed on for another year, you know, having all these people and they were, they were, they were cheating. As, I mean, they were, they were selling a product, a knockoff of ours and they had within a week they had thousands of reviews, five stars. I'm like, what? How is this possible? So I started looking through their reviews, and the reviews were all about hover hoverboard parts. And I'm like, these reviews don't match the product. So they were having another product, and they just diverted. They just I don't know how they did it. I've no, they're just gaming the system. They basically were using wrong product reviews on their product to get that up in the ranking because it had a lot of reviews. So there's just so, so much. And I was just so tired of it. And I was just about to, you know, rent a big commercial space, hire my first employee. I was just about to like, you know, I can't do this by myself, but I want to grow it in a way that it's sustainable. I don't want to sell to Amazon straight because I lose pricing power. That seems risky, but I want to grow and I want to go to the next step. And uh, and then that all went down. I was like, hold on, hold on. And I watched my sales just start to tank slowly. And then I was like, this is not good, right? I mean, it's not where you want, you know, it's this whole growth thing is like that the business has to grow is, it's kind of weird anyway to me. I understand it, but it's also, I think if you, if you can find a way around that, then you're like golden, right? If you can 
if you can build a business that doesn't need to grow, you know, which I don't know. They say, what do they say? Isn't there something a building that doesn't grow dies or something's dying or something? Which I don't agree with. Well, it's definitely not, not something that's uh, common in the business world, right. right? So what I did is I I basically pulled a plug on Amazon and killed off. Uh, well, it was basically half of my business. It went down fifty percent, right? And I was like, all right, fine. You know, less work. What, what, what year was that? <laughs> oh God, it's been not. It's been at least two and a half years or so now. I would say. So today, hangar is it you or? Who's describe or, or, or yeah explain the, the hangar? How does it look? How many people do you have working? Oh yeah, when I say we, I just mean me. <laughs> we is you, okay? Yeah, it's a weird one. I say we. I mean, my wife is there. I bounce ideas off of her, but I don't know if they even because sometimes they just go in and out. She's like, uh huh, okay. She's like, I want to. <laughs> she she's crazy. Everything else you do yourself, like you do the 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 cutting, the painting, the the packaging, the. Well, this is this is I have a bunch of uh, manufacturing partners in the US and I it took me a long time to find them because again you don't have to go to China to get screwed you can get screwed very well here so I had to sift through a bunch of shysters you know a first tooling failed like the the sixty seven thousand dollars from Kickstarter that was gone we blew that on something that didn't work and there's a risk right so an injection molding tool. That was also was made in China. That kind of left a bad taste too. But but it wasn't really the Chinese fault. It was actually the guys that designed it here, and they just totally. We had to. We didn't sue them, but we we kind of threatened them to get some of the money back because they didn't deliver on their promise. And we had a good contract written. Um, but still, like I had to call from like people. Like I had to call them from other phone lines because they would not answer the phone when they see my number pop up. There would just be like radio silence, and I was like, "That's just yeah, it's gotten really bad, pretty bad." Okay, let's just quickly uh, give you a break. I mean, it's uh, I'm, I'm speechless uh, on, on how long detailed you can explain the 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 burdens that that uh, and, and all the cobblestones you had to walk and, and, and rocks uh, were put in your way. But it seems to me that uh, in now yeah, this the what you said before the never give up, never surrender. Uh, the, what you said about racing seems to be uh, running like a red line through, uh, you know, like your house building projects, your your landlord, uh, and your business. Yeah, I think it's a good theme for life. Seriously, you should look up that scene in Gladiator, Russell Crowe. It's in the it's in the Coliseum, in the Coliseum, and he's like, never give up, never surrender. No, if you that's a model. I think that's a model for sure. Um, no, I think I think you are. What what like you you are what happened to you and it's a lot of shit happened to me, and I I have to force myself to, you know when I meet new contractors new manufacturers I have to just give them the benefit of the doubt that they're good people right, and sometimes they are and sometimes they're not but you just don't know or sometimes they started good and then they end up bad you know but the like the guys that are laser cutting and bending our steel they're in Ohio Andy. Great guy, and I actually, so I, I emailed them. I was like, "Hey, you want to quote this?" When, and he, it was like four years. I think we've been off four years with him. He's like, "Yeah, this is great." And I was like, "Oh, you want to do this? I'll be there tomorrow." And he's like, "Where are you?" He's like, "I'm in New York." I was like, "You coming to Ohio?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow." He's like, "This guy's nuts." So I went and hopped in the in the van. I drove out to Ohio. 
and met, I'm like, what's the advantage of baking stuff in the US if I can't look at, you know, look the people in the eye? Right. So I went there and I saw him. He's like, super cool guy, small shop. He says like four employees. And I was like, let's do it. You know, let's, let's, let's get this made over here. Right. So that's kind of how I ran with everybody, even the ones that screwed me over. I still went there and met them, shook their hands and looked them right in the face. You know, sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong, you know, to read people, to understand what they're doing. But usually within like a couple of months, you figure it out that they're like, oh, you know, he doesn't really answer the phone anymore. He doesn't reply. I don't think he's helping me. You know, it's not a team, not a long-term thing. So now, you know, all the guys that are working on us, like we have a powder coater locally in Kingston. He's a great guy. And then another, there's the sandblasting. But they're getting old now. Like one guy is like 80. The other guy's like in this, you know, it's like it scares me a little bit. Are these these kind of pride people, people who work with pride that you're talking about? Earlier? Yes. 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 They get They get upset. When they fuck, when they fuck it up, <laughs> it's like I do too. I get upset. I was like, "Oh, this sucks." So then we have to fix it, right? So it's not like. But well, it's it's really nice. It's it's really nice to hear that. Uh, yeah, in the last couple of minutes, you 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 have people you work with that uh, that you can rely on, that that you can trust, and that uh, make that uh, made in U.S. Germany uh, tough Jurgen product for you. Yeah. Well, Germany is a, Germany is a different story, right? So this is this is the this is the whole point of not growing a business, but having a business that's worth something. Maybe I don't know. Is uh, I was shipping these, uh, you know, the, the hangers and all the stuff to Europe, and it was just like, man, I would sometimes lose money on these sales. I still sometimes because I still ship to Australia, and people are like, dude, shipping so expensive. And I was like, tell me about it. <laughs> like when I reply to them, they're like, "Oh, this guy's actually not being upset. He's like, right. he's more upset than me, <laughs> right?" They're like, "Get mad!" I was like, "This is ridiculous shipping," and I'm like, "Yes, I agree with you. This is ridiculous." <laughs> But so I, because I subsidize my shipping to Australia, like I still is like you know, like I ship, like if you order an like three Dan's or so, it's like eighty five dollars to New Zealand or something. I did this like just the other day again. But my shipping cost is like $130, but it's DHL Express, three days, it doesn't get lost, you know, it's all this stuff. I'm like, I know it's ridiculous, but I, I and sometimes I end up making it too tight that I actually end up losing money or barely. I make like, I was like, I told you, I was like, oh, look, it's $185. I make $5 on this, you know, and people are probably mad at me. <laughs> so, so like, I don't, but I was like, I don't care. I'll get, a, you know, I get somebody to be happy over there. So I do, I, I don't. I get I get upset sometimes when I have those sales, but I, I do them. You know, I've I've had sales where I lost money, and that's okay. So, so you're gonna you know, listen to you like you know, even so you you're taking us really deep deep, and it's uh, making me speechless. Is like you're still laughing, you're still having a good time. Where where do you get the energy? Where do you take your energy from? What do you do to relax and to recharge? I am I am unemployable. Uh, you know what that means? Well, me. I don't have a choice. I can't get a job anywhere else. Nobody would hire me. There's no way. How come? Have you tried? I've tried. And, uh, I've had a job as a consultant, like a water pollution prevention program. That lasted a couple of months. It was, I was dying on the inside, you know, because I was like, this is redundant. Like, this is like, this is stupid. Like I was pointing all the, I was like, why are we doing this? This is stupid. This is it's like I was just like this is so inefficient. Why are we doing it? I guess like, this is the way it's done. 
And then I was trying to get a an actual job as a kitchen installer. And I literally like the job interview, I literally like two minutes in, I blew it because I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> literally, I just walked out. I'm like, I can't do this. It's I know, I'm, I, and then I realized like I am absolutely unemployable because I haven't had a job, a le, le, like a legitimate job since I was 19, whatever, like 20, right? When I was tool and die maker, you know, do as you're told. This is what's done. Do it the way I tell you to do it. You know, not much. I mean, maybe some thinking, you know, figuring out, problem solving, but not too much. You know, don't do too much, you know, just a little bit. And uh, so I don't really have much of a choice. And uh, I really like, I, I do enjoy like when we go to the trade shows, the customer feedback, people are super happy. And 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 I do enjoy the, the customer relationship. And I think people also really enjoy when they find us. See, maybe we're hard to find, but the ones that are find us are like, you know, have you ever been online? You're looking for something and looking for something. And then see, you see, I did this the other day. Actually, I bought a new, uh, a new, uh, cam- see, I'm gonna call it a Camelback, which it's that's the name, right? It's not; it's a hydration pack, right? So I was looking for a new Camelback, and I was like, "Well, their their website's super uninspiring, by the way. It was just like a mall, like a bunch of stuff everywhere." And then there was a Google Shopping ad, which, by the way, that's the only ad spend I do is Google Shopping ads. So I just pop up, and I was like, "Oh, it's this water buffalo." I was like, "It's this guy." selling hydration packs i was like wow let's look at it and i was like the website's cool made me feel like i want to i want to buy one of these i was like the price was like same as a camelback and then i was like wow this is a i could right away see it's a shopify site because i use shopify for my e-commerce i was like oh it's the same i like the i like i like how they built the store i'm like this is like i'm looking at myself making a different thing right right so i'm like i'm I just ordered one. I haven't gotten it yet. So I ordered uh, a water buffalo hydration pack. Let's see how it is. And this is a funny thing. So Shopify, right? So I know how the insights, the mechanics behind the dashboard, all that works. So I'm like, Stacey, I'm going to order this. This is from a Shopify site. And I was like, I looked at their Instagram. I looked how far they've been. Like the first post was like last summer. I was like, okay. And they only have that many followers. Like they didn't buy followers. They didn't like they're doing it right. And I was like, Look, they're doing, they're starting it. I mean, that could be complete douchebags, right? Well, I don't know them. But I was like, that looks like a legitimate effort. I like what they're doing, so I'm going to buy it. And um, I was like, Stace, I'm going to order it and see what my order number is. I want to see how much they've sold. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, Shopify starts at order number 1,000. So whatever's above that, that's how much they've sold since last summer. She's like, okay. So I was order number 1,900. I was like, they sold 900 orders so far. I was like, I'm ordering up with 900. <laughs> so I was like, see, for me, that was like a gem. I found something in the internet that was, it's not a mass thing. You know what right. I mean? You know, their stuff's probably still made overseas in Vietnam or time. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's somebody legitimately starting a business here, trying to get their foot in the door. And I, I, I think people find me or find my website and they're just like, oh, this is, well, this is different, right? Right. Look, at he's making these here. It's like, why would he make them here? You can make them so much easier somewhere else. And they're right. I can make these easier somewhere else. It's not a problem. You know? I mean, actually, I've gotten prices from Asia and they weren't that great. They weren't. If if you do shipping and all that stuff. It's maybe it's great if you do a million units, but I don't want to do that. 
Hey, you have a YouTube channel. It's called the Van to Bike. Why is it not called Van to Bike with Dogs? I know there should be right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's that's the extended family, the Van to Bike. Yeah, no, we did. Uh, we built out our van as a camper because that was. It seemed like uh, the only way to ever get away a little bit is just to take everything with us, you know. But that's also an interesting thing that that van to bikes that channel had a couple of different names. Okay. And now I have multiple channels. It started out as of it was shelfy and it was the hanger, and then uh, I was I was actually I think promoting videos at a certain point. I was paying for ads on YouTube, and you know the whole ad world seems very strange to me. You know because it's just like who is an influencer and who's not an influencer. It's been decided by, I don't know who, the algorithms, which I find sometimes very good videos, informative from people that have barely any views, right? So I was like, I want to be one of those. I can be one of those people that have barely any views and give good information. <laughs> so that's that's when I decided to like change it and also make it something that's not just about one thing. And then the van to bike, it's a very interesting because I, I, I post about vans bikes and anything in between and you can tell like sometimes i post a van video i have all the bike people i'd follow me <laughs> i post the bike video all the van people i'd follow me so it's usually a wash it's funny yeah. it's really funny people are so boxed into that little dip it's a very american thing like you know when you're in germany you turn i don't know if it's still like that but you turn on the radio right in in a german you get in the car turn on the radio and you can hear a German language song that's kind of pop followed by a rock song, a classic 80s song, and it could be a mix of stuff, right? That doesn't exist in the US. Right. Right? There is no station that plays a mixed bag where you have like a, 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 a class, like a country song followed by ACDC and then techno or something. It doesn't happen. There is no mix. It's like classic rock, boom. How dare we deviate? You know, this is the you know, pop, disco, whatever, channel, done. That's all we're playing here. You know, this. so it's just very, like, it's gotten to very, like, uh, compartment, compartment, oh, I don't know how to say that. Yeah, compartmental thinking. That's co compartmentalized or whatever that word is. Right. Um, it's, it's a really interesting observation that uh, even so I've been, spent a lot of time in both sides in cars. Um, I never really looked at it this way that, you know, that, uh, the mix and the, the the compartmental look at it, and then you experiencing this as it seems on your van van uh, to bike side on YouTube, right? Exactly because the the van people only want to watch van videos. How dare like they don't? So I'm I'm trying to build something that does everything a little bit, and it's not working well. <laughs> so and what happens when you put up dog dog videos? Our dog videos are not doing that great either, but that's okay. That's the in that's the van two bike. That's the two part. That's in between. <laughs> uh, it's fine. I th I think it's all about longevity, and it's it's kind of like the people that like this and stick around, they really like it. So you got those things forever. You know, it's the same with my email list. Ooh, don't even talk about that one. I don't think you know you're supposed to collect email addresses from your customers. I have an email list, subscriptions, this and that. I don't think I've used it in three years. And it's it scares me. Like I don't really. I I hate. 
I hate marketing in that way. I don't really want to do it. And now I'm also kind of concerned because I don't, I, I have to see if I can filter out, like I made a new product, right? The big ring, which is an first ever adjustable thing. And, uh, you know, I feel like the time is ticking as far as, eh, when are they going to knock this thing off? Right. So it's a matter of time, um, before they do. So if I, I don't know who's on my email list and I'm not going to put it on there. So I don't really know what it's for my email list right now. Cause I'm, <laughs> I don't want to send anybody emails because I feel like I have a bunch of Chinese people on my website that log on to my email list that are waiting for me to give them the news that I have a new product that they can rip off. Okay. So if and so you're right, you're afraid that this is just going to start another rip off wave. Well, it's going to happen, but I, I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to get a longer burn out of this right now. Because I'm only selling them for like two weeks now, and they're selling, and people really like them. Which one? Sorry, which part is that again? That's the the big ring. It's this big chain ring that's an adjustable paddle hook system with adjustable shelves, so you can switch from a mountain bike to a road bike, and be any bikes with the same setup, so you don't have to drill new holes in the walls. You can just slide stuff around. It's super like adjustable. Hey, you just you you just said uh, uh, I'm a little irritated. Like you said. You hate marketing, but you know, to, to what I look at here, all that, like, uh, you're a marketing machine. No, I, okay. I hate the traditional marketing that's made by dollars. Like, it's just like, I feel like there's this funnel. And I, I like, when you, sometimes you've done this, right? You visit a website and then it starts the barrage of emails. I'm like, I'm, I am definitely this. There was another day I was looking for sweatpants, and I don't remember the company was Vizio, but I have no idea. But I'm like, every day I, I accepted the cookie or whatever it was, and then it came flooding in the freaking emails. And I'm not buying from you. I am definitely never going to buy from you. You're annoying the hell out of me. So, okay, got it. Who are your customers? Who, who are you, who are your customers at, at the hangar? You have some interesting customers. Your stories you can share from is it New Zealand or um, customers? <clears throat> um, I have obviously it's a pretty broad spectrum from you know not just racers and people with high end bikes. It's a lot of uh, people that use bikes day to day. I have actually some interesting uh, tandem customers, which I always love those the most. Because that's that takes a little bit of thinking to hang a tandem, uh, but it's 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 funny because I was like, yeah, we're kind of like the only thing that can do this, right? There's no other way of how you're going to hang a tandem. Um, so we have a lot of it's it's broad spectrum. It's literally from commuters, from towny cruisers to race bikes. There is no difference. I think. Um, I think they're just uh, they're just great people, and the feedback on Instagram is basically almost ninety percent feedback because I have a little card in the box that says, "Hey, thanks for you know buying from us," and you know I'd love to see what you what you're making because it's it's definitely uh, like a lifestyle art installation when you hang a bike in an apartment in 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 your house because it's such a visible item. I mean, what do you hang usually on walls? It's pictures. It's art, right? So this is like you're hanging your bike. So that's a statement that definitely changes the feel of a room. You have a, I mean, look at Seinfeld episodes, look at like a lot of 
movies they put they put bikes in on walls to create a certain vibe right so it, it changes the the space where you live in you know it gives it sends a message obviously also to people that come visit that space you know when you have a bike hanging on the wall like that so and people have gotten super creative as far as backgrounds lighting and they just go all out you know i mean i remember this is this is a this is also an interesting thing it's like i have to have i don't know if i have to have but i have uh product liability insurance right which is like okay who cares well none of these guys on amazon you buy something on amazon by the way our most our competitor they use two screws to bolt their pedal hook into the wall why because they don't care right we use four twice the screws right twice the whatever chances of it not falling off the wall um so i was like yeah product liability seems like a great idea because if it if something ever happens and kills the house cat you know i want to make sure i'm covered um and i have this customer of mine from california sent me this picture hey look i like your product and it's like three bikes hanging over a ferrari it's like a $250,000 car. And I'm like, man, like it really like settled in. I was like, oh my God. It's like, I better, I mean, my stuff is so overbuilt. When you look at it, I showed it to my friend, Dan, which by the way, kind of named the product after him because I didn't know what else to do. Um, he looked at it and he's like, dude, this thing is enormous. Why does it have to be so big? I was like, it doesn't really have to be that big. And I just felt like overbuilding it was like the right thing to do. Which, by the way, is now yeah that that's the made America and made in Germany, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of by default now. The it's the bike hook for e bikes. I always say if you can lift it, we'll hold it <laughs> because it's the limiting factor is actually now you your back and can you actually lift it? Because if you can lift it, that'll hold it. The Dan will hold it totally. But try lifting an e-bag like that. Jesus. Yeah, that's definitely a <laughs> different category. Yeah. Heavyweight yeah, yeah. lifting. Yeah. Do you ride e-bags? Do you ever ride e-bags? So I have strong feelings about e-bags. <laughs> and they're not good sometimes. Right. I wrote a blog post about this. And because I actually got paid in the very beginning to promote e-bags. And then I rode them the first time. And I was like, these are these are great. You know? But then... This is probably what crack was too in the beginning. Somebody who took a drug and they're like, yeah, this is great. You know, just because it's great doesn't mean it's great. You know, maybe not everybody should have it. Um, and I'm talking about mountain bikes. I'm not talking about transportation. I'm talking about on the road or talking about where, where it's fine to go. I'm talking about full suspension e-bikes, right? So, and then I started looking around all the people that are talking positively about e-bikes so i was like oh, that guy's getting paid and that guy's got that bike for free and that guy's gotten paid and then i was like oh, this is a marketing thing i was like it's interesting you know what i mean i wonder if all these people would talk like that if they wouldn't get paid or wouldn't get the bike or wouldn't do because i did that too right and i and then, you know and it's easy to talk good about it because it's a it's good right it's it's a drug yeah who, who paid you what, what bike were you riding it was a high bike back then it was i was just a it was just a a weekend at Sea Otter, you know, it was just a gig. You know, I was like, oh, take take some people out and show them how the things work. And like, I'm like, yeah, these work great. It's like, 
I'm gonna stay away from that. Um, so, so what 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 shaped that strong opinion of yours was the e-bikes, besides marketing? I think my blog post that I wrote was uh, are e-bikes the cruise ships of the mountains, and it's just basically, have you ever been to a port where the cruise ship docks and all these people come streaming out, and you're just yes, like, ah, yeah, you're just like, I went to Cozumel, Mexico, and I was like that. That ship docks and there's 3,000 people coming out at you and you're just like, oh, Jesus. So it felt like to me that the e-bike could be that for the mountains, that it's just a rush, that people that shouldn't be there are getting there. I'm like, no, don't bring these people here. Just ruining it, you know. And then is it fair to say that, you know, because I'm here, they shouldn't be there. It's like, no, I don't I don't know. I just have mixed feelings. I don't think it's good. I think it's going to cause a lot of friction, a lot of damage eventually. Um, and I am just going to be a bystander, more or less. I'm not going to participate in the e-mountain biking. I'm I'm totally into – I would totally – I don't have the money for that, but I would totally get like an e-commuter, like go to the supermarket or go to work or whatever. I love those. I think those are great because it's transportation. Once it turns into transportation, it's a different story. It doesn't – recreation – it just it's the fine line between like well you've seen them you've seen people that are not considerate and then you give them an e-motor and then jesus you know it's not nice what happens you know what i mean oh just the last 12 months with corona here is uh insane like uh how many more people ride bikes and are newbies to it and uh do different things that that we would do so it's um part of it by the way i just I just bought my very first high-end mountain bike ever. You did? <laughs> like, I paid, I paid for it. Yeah. I never bought one. I always bought used bikes or I had old, like the bike I'm riding now until this, right? It was from 2007. It's a Santa Cruz Nomad. That's how old my bike is. 26-inch, obviously. Um, that I got given because I was in a American Express commercial. And I was like, hey, I'm in a commercial. I don't have a bike. You want to give it to me? And they're like, yeah, use this. And they just came out with the Nomad, so I got it. And I got to keep it. They were kind of mad about it because it was like this, just a short clip. How did you get it in the Express commercial? Uh, I was working on this guy's house <laughs> who was a cameraman. And he was a like a like a high end, you know, for commercials and ads. He did a lot of commercials for a car, you know, Ford and all these companies. And he was like, I'm doing an American Express commercial. I need a mountain biker. Aren't you like a mountain biker? And I was like, Yeah, I don't have a bike. I literally had no mountain bike. I was like, I could do it. What do you want? And I was like, Oh, I want you to jump off these benches and do all this stuff. So I still have it somewhere on my personal YouTube. I think it's floating around somewhere. It's like my personal YouTube. So you're back to your new bike. So what, what what did you buy? See, that's where it gets difficult, right? You want to buy – I have like political views on like – not political views, but views of like how a company should exist, right? And not that there's – I could never buy a bike from a former sponsor just because, <laughs> right? We, we'll, leave it there. we'll leave it there. We'll leave, we'll leave it there. No, we'll leave that there. And that's not – no, that's not because they're bad bikes, right? That's oh. just because I'm like – I used to get paid to do this, and now I'm not. So I feel like it doesn't seem right. What did you buy? <laughs> so, Jürgen, what, what bike did you buy? I bought an Ibis. At the end. I bought an Ibis. 
great. Yes. So owner still involved in the company, not hugely growthy kind of thing, very boutique kind of great bikes. And also Scott Nichols, not too fond of e-bikes, I think. I mean, maybe he'll okay. change his tune one day, but he's not there yet. So, and, and you've talked to him in person before you bought the bike? Yes. Yes. Great. I've met him a couple times too. I met him at uh, Downeyville, I think. Yeah. Downeyville. Oh, he's a great guy. Yep. So, no, I, 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 just the first time I bought a bike that I'm like, wow, oh, I'm buying a bike. So, which one did you buy now? Tell us a little bit what, what did you choose and what? I bought the, I bought the Mohan, I bought a, uh, it's a 650B. So I didn't even, because I have a 29er hardtail, right? An, an old Scott. So I know what the big wheels feel like. And where we live here, everything is super tight and technical. The 650B seems like the right thing. It's like, I want to still have, I don't want it to be like completely flattening out everything. You know what right. I mean? So it's the Moho, the new Moho. How much travel? Sorry, I'm not familiar with the lineup there. Me neither. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's not that much. No. 150 is a one is 150. Does that sound like a number? Yeah. So in this bike today, you know, like when you raced, everything was at the beginning, right? Does it come to you every once in a while when you ride, thinking back at certain moments? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about making a YouTube video, but then I always have these pipe dreams and I never do them. And it was it was supposed to be the title was supposed to be that I can like, I'm the bike whisperer. I can speak to bikes, but actually in reality, I can't really speak to bikes. I can just hear them talking to me because I feel like they're all out to kill me. <laughs> and I think that has something to do with grow, like being a racer in the nineties. Cause those bikes were literally just like, they were just like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Watch. I'm going to snap in half right here, right now, you know? And that's, you never knew when your bike would just give up on you in the middle of a run. You know, or your fork would just all of a sudden smacking you on your forehead because it decided you're like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> so I always had this relationship with the bike where I look at it as like, I don't trust you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I don't know what I don't know what you're up to, but it's not going to be any good. You know, and it's like a lot of times crashes are your own fault, but sometimes I'm like, you stupid bike. You know, it's like that was totally your fault, you know. Like, it's like, it's, it's talking to you. It's like, I can totally do this jump. And then you're like, you're sure. And then, yeah, I can do it. And then you jump it and it breaks into pieces. And you're like, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? And then what you, is there a conversation between the bike and you after the jump and it broke or? Yeah. And then this is also, so that Nomad is the one I broke my bike on, uh, broke my back on, right? The one I'm still riding right now. So I had this weird thing with the bike. I was like, I'm, I'm not selling that bike. I'm going to make sure that bike dies before me. <laughs> but then do I want to be on it when it does that? So there's a whole other thing. Um, but I keep looking at it and I cannot believe the longevity of these new bikes that they don't, they don't fall. It's not like that anymore. Right. Right. They don't break anymore. I have one Marin that finally got a crack. Like it's an old one. That's like from 2006 or so, 2005 that finally had a crack on the C tube. And I was like, okay. What's nice about the aluminum bikes that kind of give you a little bit of a warning. They'll like literally will tell you, I'm tired and I will break soon because there's a crack. Look right here, you know. Okay. But that, that's definitely uh, also because of you have a lot of experience riding aluminum bikes, right? Yes. 
I don't think Carbon does that. I think Carbon is just like gone, like no warning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this will be the first full suspension Carbon bike I ever had. So I never had one. I'm a little late to the party, you know. <laughs> I ride a lot slower now. I don't really get involved in. Like, I've noticed also that racing can ruin your your appreciation for great trails. You know what I mean? Because you're always trying to, like, straight line, short, distance, faster, pedal, pedal, you know. Like, there's this mo- uh, trail. You've done that. Porcupine Rim and Moab, right? Probably. Oh, yeah, many times. Yeah, such a great trail. And they're doing this huh. race called the Full Enchilada, which is from the top of the La Salle Mountains all the way down. And I'm like, why would I ever do that? It's such a great trail. I can, like, it would totally ruin the trail for me mentally, just thinking about racing that thing. Um, because you just want to have fun, right? Some trails are just fun. And that's, right. if you race them, they're not fun. <laughs> so... Yeah, so but I think that's a, that's a nice uh, way to look at it. You know that this, these trails take a certain attitude to enjoy, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So you're gonna on your website. You you say everybody should have a daily bike ride. Um, be the highlight for your day. So um, since it's the beginning of your morning, you're still gonna go on a ride today. You know, I wish I could have that every day. Yeah, I wish I had that every day. I I try. It's much easier now when it's warm out. In the winter, I really don't get to ride every day. But now it's I have I live close to the Hudson River. There's some some trails I can actually go at night, like before I I just right before sun sun uh, sunset. Uh, I go down there. I ride a little bit for like I have like a 50 minute loop that I can just squeeze in at the end of the day kind of helps a lot you know even if you just do that just to kind of like you process the day you don't really get you just get under un, unangry yourself <laughs> get rid of all the toxins and just like okay it's not that bad you know what i mean um so yeah i i, I would agree that if everybody could ride a bike even a couple minutes a day they'd probably be a lot happier you know yes i fully agree with this and uh so you can thank you so much for sharing all your gladiator stories with us, <laughs> especially going really deep into the wounds, some of these wounds those those fights have, and then your attitude. An amazing, uh, amazing ride with you. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I, I wish you all the best for the hangar and what's coming. And uh, hope that you still find time to ride your new bike. Yeah, never give up, never surrender. Yay. <laughs> never give up and never surrender. <laughs> Take care. All right. Cool, man. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.